0: Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Damon Millard, a Binghamton native who got his start in comedy in Milwaukee after lying to a woman about being a stand-up. It's the first time I've ever heard a story like that. Damon and I met at Maddie B's in Binghamton when I first started doing comedy about seven years ago, and I saved his business card just for this moment. We talked a lot about his progression and what it's like coming back to perform in Binghamton, which he'll be doing on Thursday, January 19th at Beer 30. He runs Punching Bag Comedy and tours all over the country. He's super funny, and this is a whole lot of fun. You're going to absolutely love him. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow Homebrew Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewcomedy.com to see all of my dates. Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Thank you so
1: much for doing this, dude. Appreciate it. Yeah. What else do you have to do today?
0: You said you had to hang a hang a coat rack?
1: I'm hanging a coat rack because ever since like last winter, we hung too many coats on our coat rack and it ripped off the wall. And so for a year, it's just been like failure staring you in the face. You know what I mean? Every time you come in the house and you're just like, the moment you get in, it's just like ever present reminder that things aren't going right. So <laughs> yeah, so it's the new year and I bought a drill. We're doing it. I'm going to do it up. How old are you? 45.
0: 45. I'm yeah. 39 and like yeah. I've been renting forever. I moved out of my parents' house when I was 22, so I've been renting for like 16, 17 years, and I haven't had to do any of that home stuff. Yeah. So like anytime I have to borrow something from my dad or I have a project that he has to come over, I just feel like less of a man. I'm oh like, yeah. And I wonder if it's like like a generational thing because like my grandparents, they did all their own things. My dad, my uncles, they do all their own things, and then me and my brother. Do shit.
1: No, I feel that way too. Like, I feel, especially like uh if you go to like the mechanic or something. Yeah. Right. At the mechanic, I, you like, my girl's like, I, Can you come with me to the mechanic so they don't rip me off? I'm like, Oh, man. No, you're going to see how much of a pussy I am. Right. <laughs> so I go there. I hate it because like uh, you go in and you'll, be like, What's wrong with the car? And you got to like, you got to be like, Oh, it's making like a clicker, clicker, clicker noise. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's all I got. Right. And they're like, Oh, that sounds like a belt. You are know, like, yeah, yeah, I was I was thinking belt. And um, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, dude, those those dudes, like, yeah. Reversely, if you go into a comic book store, those dudes make you feel like a bitch too, right? right. You ever notice yeah. that? You ever go into a comic book store? And you're like, oh. Uh, I was
0: baseball card shop, long time ago. Yeah,
1: yeah. Everybody trying to make me feel like an outsider, no matter where I go. No matter where I go, no matter what it is, Foodies are like you're like, what's what's an affogato? And they're like, Oh, you don't know. Oh, you don't know what that is? You know what I mean? And you're like,
0: I wish I could remember right now, but I was at a grocery store not too long ago and I saw a new fruit from
1: <laughs> okay, don't you feel like you're too old to be discovering fruits? <laughs> I was
0: yeah. like, like I knew pomegranate was a thing. Like I'd never seen it before, like four years ago. But I'm like, okay. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. I don't know what this was. It looked like it looked like a cross between a cantaloupe and a grapefruit. Yeah. And I'm like like it was a huge grapefruit but it's it, it was bigger. I was like what is this? And my girlfriend got it right on the first try. And I'm like yeah. nobody told me about this. Like and it's not like like I'm a big guy but it's like I like fruit, I like vegetables, but it's like they've hidden this from me for years. And I'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. what is
1: happening? And I it's finally trickling down to the small <laughs> towns.
0: <laughs> I, I feel like such an asshole. got like, pomegranate here now, <laughs> guys. Yeah. yeah. Like in my Canada? This is weird. Yeah certain part of me is like a to admit it because I'm like, maybe I should have like, you know, been subscribing to the right newsletters or a magazine yeah. or something, but I, I had no idea what these things are. And, and she'll, can you
1: change a tire? I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, oh, yeah. is, I have no, an ADD no, brain, no, so no, I'll do sure. this too. I can,
0: I can change a tire. I'm not the greatest driver and I'm not super careful. So I do get flat tires. So I'm like, I can do that. And yeah. I just got a new car a couple years ago and like the factory tires sucked. So, I would just have to, like, it got really good. I think I changed the tire three times. And I'm like, I can do it in probably like 20 minutes, which probably is longer than most real men can do it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Like, I'm happy with it. Yeah. I have a friend, Mark, and uh, the two of us together with like a 12 pack, it took us all day, but we changed his uh, headlight on his Jeep. Dude, the testosterone was just like seeping out of our pores. I think we went to Madame Orr's. (laughs) And we were like, fucking really self. We we're like really celebrating, dude. Like <laughs> we were looking for a fight. You know what I mean?
0: For like a second. I forgot you had Binghamton ties.
1: Oh, yeah. No, From I do.
0: Matamores. Oh, my God, dude. It used to be teasers and matamores.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I went Is to it te- not that anymore?
0: I don't think teasers exists.
1: Oh, man, I got to make some changes to my trip then.
0: <laughs> I, I, really, <laughs> I really think it was funny because we have a show at Beer 30. Yeah, and that's pretty much right in that plaza. Like it's Oh, down,
1: is that where it is? It's okay. down the street. Yeah, I did a show there when it was called something else then, like a long time ago. Yeah. It was like a western bar or something, and they had like oh, a. You might be
0: thinking of Woody's. Is it Woody's? Woody's what is mean? near there. Woody's Tavern, and that is was... a western bar.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, I, so I did. So. I did one right there. Unless you're thinking a what what touch was, of Touch so. of Texas. Nope. Okay. No. 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 It... I feel like they had like a DJ booth, but it was in like model of like a tractor trailer or something. Well, it wasn't this one. I I think (laughs) this
0: like they remodeled this place, and before they did that, it was too small for that. So it's probably different. But yeah, when I was in high school and college, the big thing like when you turned eighteen, like you wanted to go to the strip club. It was like a rite of passage. Like I'm going to go to Teasers because I think Teasers was how did it work? Was Teasers full nude? And then Matamor's, yeah, there was one right topless. next door
1: that was yeah, there was one right next door that was full nude, and then the other one was topless. It was so that they could get around this loophole where like yeah, you could serve alcohol in a place, but then you couldn't be fully nude. Right. But the other place was like a juice bar or something, and they made they still made you buy like two juices. And then like the juices were like nine, nine bucks a pop. <laughs> you spent twenty dollars on orange juice.
0: I think I went to teasers, I think, twice, and the cover was twelve dollars, which for me was like the worst part of the night. I was like, yeah. I don't like paying covers to go anywhere. Like yeah. if I if I have to pay a cover to go into a bar, I will try to steal glass to get yeah, something yeah. out
1: of that. <laughs> yeah, try and get it back. <laughs> but
0: yeah, there's not Mitigate a lot to steal at a surf club. But yeah. we went there and I remember, man, my buddies, uh, it was going to be four of us who were going to go to the strip club. And one by one, they all just fell off. My buddy, Brian, his girlfriend came up to me at school, was like, Yeah, he's not going with you. I'm like, All right. And I, don't I went to work. It was all like work friends. So I went to work and like it was like a cartoon. Like I pulled in and my other buddy is. <laughs> Name Bill. His girlfriend was waiting for me with like
1: <laughs> arms, crossed. arms crossed,
0: and she goes, "He's not going." I go, "Okay, all and right." Lady. My single friend Jeff and I went, but my girlfriend even was like, "It's like, do you really have to go?" I go, well, "I don't have to go, but I want to go." And she's like, yeah. well, "Why? Like, you don't like me?" I go, "No, it has nothing to do with it." And she was afraid that like I was going to, I don't know, get a lap dance and go home with somebody. And I yeah. said, "Don't forget, like, I am the cheapest guy in the world. I'm going to sit in the back. Like, yeah. I'm going to." Try to be ignored, and I don't want to lose more money.
1: I mean, the vote of confidence that is that I know that the girlfriends are giving. Like, you cannot be to, uh, a stripper at a strip club. I mean, I've done it, but I mean, most people can't do that. <laughs> I couldn't.
0: Um, like, <laughs> yeah, I certainly couldn't do it now, but I couldn't at eighteen years old. I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> are
1: you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What a vote of confidence. The first strip club I ever been to was Madam Moore's, and I went with my cousin Vinny. He lost his mind. You know how like they come around and you like put a dollar in like, Yep. this dude was putting twenties in. He was like, oh my had, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the synapses in his brain were like misfire. <laughs> and he was like, so he was out of money, like in five minutes. Do you even like the strip club? Is it like, I don't, no. I feel
0: uncomfortable because like I go there and like the last time I went, it was a bachelor party in Baltimore and I just felt like so out of place. And I want to, if like, if somebody is dancing, I, I feel awkward. So I want yeah. to tell a joke. I want to talk to them and see how they're doing. And that's not the place to do that. And mm. then I also, like, I'm, like I said, I'm very cheap. So, like, a beer is like $8. I'm like, I don't want to do
1: that. Like, yeah, yeah. There's have, really nothing good about I,
0: it. I have the internet and beer at my house.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like every movie you ever watch, though, it's like the cool, tough, bad guys are always hanging out there. And yeah. it's just like, this is actually kind of sad, you know?
0: yeah and I'm always amused I'm always amused by like uh the food like in a movie, like, oh. like there's a buffet and I'm like what?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I used to live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right, and there was a strip club. I can't remember what it was called, but they had the legs and eggs breakfast buffet, <laughs> <laughs> <What is this? laughs>
0: yeah, I, I feel like they m- have to be called that,
1: yeah, I mean, it really just goes to show like. I mean, maybe we're just not there yet, but, like, maybe there's a point where you're like, you need that. You know what right. I mean? You just, you know, you will pay a girl to pretend to be nice to you. You know what I mean? Just yeah. be like, you know what I mean? um,
0: Do you ever watch It's Always Sunny?
1: I've seen a bunch of it, yeah. Right.
0: Well, there's an episode where Frank Reynolds, Danny DeVito, and he takes his son, Dennis, to an orgy. And, oh yeah, I didn't see that one then, yeah there's a buffet there yeah like, there's a big spread and like, like, why would you do? it's like they only go
1: for the food i don't know i know yeah that's crazy oh man but my favorite comedian is a guy named dov Davidoff right yeah and uh he, had, he was on, uh, I think it was uh, The Tonight Show or something, and he does a bit about the strip club. And he's like, about how he doesn't like it. And it's like being hungry. And the girl's just like rubbing chicken in your face. Like, hey, you like this chicken? You like this chicken? You hungry? You want this chicken? Well, you can't have this chicken, but if you give me 60 bucks for the next two songs, I'll rub it all over your face. Or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> something like that. Um, Yeah. How did we get talking about strip clubs? Well,
0: you, you said that you and your buddy went
1: to. oh yeah yeah we did yeah we really did celebrate like because yeah we had done that and it took two of us by the way so we changed out his light and we really just were like feeling like men for the first time and uh and you're right it is a generational thing because like uh i feel like my grandfather who i never really knew um he had a, a garage in a home that he owned with like walls of tools like yeah. have you ever seen like a like a like a professional mechanics toolbox where it goes from floor to ceiling oh yeah yeah drawers like this and like he owned all that stuff i bought a drill specifically for this thing i bought it yesterday it came yesterday that's the first drill i've ever owned in my life
0: and you're 45
1: Um, yeah i'm 45 i don't think i own a drill yeah well you should get them now they're (laughs) amazon baby (laughs) i have
0: tools for like roadside assistance tools like like in case my car breaks down i have a socket i use and then it's friends which yeah, I, yeah. I have no use for them, but I've got them. Yeah. And then I have a hammer, a bunch of screwdrivers, and that's about it.
1: Isn't it weird how you pick up those things randomly, like bit by bit as, as you go through life? Yeah, because like, you, you need
0: something. You
1: couldn't trace back the origin yeah. of that hammer, but you're like, I know I got a hammer. You just, yeah,
0: I know I got some tools from my dad. I remember I stole... <laughs> I think I stole a screwdriver that I really like. I, I had I had a blazer when I was in high school. Yeah. And when you change the light, like the headlight, mine, I needed like a star drill or something. Yeah. Like it was a weird tool that my dad had, whatever. But this screwdriver, it worked on some things. So I'm like, oh, I want that. And it had like five bits in it. So like I can change it. And I only use the one. But right. I carry that with me in my bag in case.
1: And this is. You never know. This dude. is
0: sad. But like. I'm a comedian and the only thing I've had to use that for is to screw the screw back in the school in the stool. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. It comes out, so I'm like, yeah. oh, I know I got a tool for this. So I'll nice. do that and and that's it. So yeah. I'm not the most handy guy, but I have a screwdriver right. that works.
1: Yeah. I always had like a um a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, and I had a skate tool. I used to be a skater. I used to have this. Do you know what a skate tool is? It's for the it's like a, for the key. Yeah, it's a skate key where like you only works on the wheels and yeah. then the bottom of the trucks, right? right? And that's it. And it's all in one, like, I don't know. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I'm not a man. Well, I mean, sort of. I guess I have BO, but other than that, it'd be. And that's important. It's very important. Do you remember meeting me? No, I actually okay. don't. Was I drunk? Probably. Okay. But
0: I'm going to show you something. Uh, okay. I don't know if you can see this well. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: I have a business card and I've had it for, (laughs) I'm going to say six years plus. Okay. So it's beaten up. I have not donated it for a free lunch or anything like that. Okay. But we met at Maddie B's a long time ago. Okay. And you came in. I think you were visiting your family. I don't know when, but we talked at the end of the bar for a few minutes and you went to New York City and that's it. And then, you know, I... Have obviously seen like punching bag comedy and I've seen you around, you know, not physically, but like you know, right. I know you've been in Binghamton. And then I was doing a podcast, I was recorded with Greg Bach. Oh, yeah, Greg. Right. So he's in Wisconsin. Yeah. And we're talking about something, and then he brings up Damon Millard. And I'm like, I know that name, <laughs> but I don't know if there's a second one. And I'm thinking, like, because I didn't know a ton about you, but yeah. like, why would he also be in Wisconsin? And oh I'm man, like, yeah. So, My story's Deep, dude <laughs> So I'm like I stopped him I think I'm like I think I know him And then I'm editing the podcast I'm like Oh no, I know what I have And I looked through my wallet It was still in my wallet Nice <laughs> <I'm in> this- <laughs> <laughs> How do you have that? <laughs> I'm like Comedy is such
1: a small world Yeah, it is If you hang on long enough You'll meet every single person right. It's just the way it is You know what I mean? I have a real convoluted origin story I mean, I, I'll i go into it If you yeah. want to hear it
0: Yep Okay no. When did you leave Binghamton?
1: I left Binghamton when I was 28 years old. Okay. I can't remember the year. I mean, I guess I could do the math, but <laughs> I grew up there, obviously. And I went to I went to BCC and then BU. Yep. And then I was working at the Binghamton Regency as, as a banquet waiter. Right. I had a communications degree. Right. Like yeah, me too. And, and a cinema degree from BU. Right. So film writing shit. Editing stuff. It's it's my life is all video production and just just like oh, anything in that realm. You know, I used to be a DJ. I the DJ at a at clubs in Binghamton. What was that? What was the name of that club? I, I used to DJ at. I think it's called like the Elk or something. Now, what was that used to be called? Grinders. I used. to you know there is a place called Grinders. I don't remember it's, that. Yeah, it's right there where all, I, I think it's still a club. You know where like that parking garage is? Yeah, uh, in, in Binghamton, like Boss cobs? No, 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 go up the other way by like Metro Center. So there's Boscov, then Metro Center, then a parking garage. And right next to that parking garage is like a a dance club. It's always been a dance club ever since like the 80s. It was called the LIE in the 80s. Uh, That's where my sister used to go and do like speed and stuff. So anyway, long story short. So, um, man, I'm going to say that a lot today. Long story short. That's okay. Okay. So I get fired from the Binghamton Regency, right? I mean, it's like earth shattering because I'm like, I've been out of school for years. I'm doing nothing but like drinking and doing coke and playing cards with like the people I work with. And like, I'm like, my life sucks. You know what I mean? And so I called, I had a buddy who I knew worked at WBNG and I called him and he was like, he was like, you know what? We're hiring up here right now, dude. I was, he was like, I'll talk to somebody. I probably get you an interview. So they're hiring for a videographer. So I went in and I met with Greg Catlin. I had had an interview with Greg Catlin and uh, he wanted to see my driver's record. And I was like, at the time, I only had a driver's permit and I had points on that shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) So I lied to him and I told him I had a license and he was like, all right, um, we can start you on uh, like Monday or something. But then he looked at the paper closely. And then in the job interview, I got caught lying. Right. About having a license. Probably and he good. was like, he was like, I'll tell you what, if you can get it in the next 30 days, the position's yours. And I'm like, holy shit. So this is a convoluted way to tell you how I started comedy. Long story short, I knew I was gonna say long story short a lot. I started working at WBNG. I got very good at video, and uh I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then from there, I got a job. This is all in TV. Then I got a job in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And then when I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I started lying to this girl. Uh, her name is Cindy Belchicona. She's also from uh, Binghamton. So uh, how would you
0: meet her there?
1: No, no, no. I was talking. She was my cousin's girlfriend. So I was talking to her online, trying to Got it. Her. Got it, got it. And, uh, <laughs> but I started lying to her and uh, I told her that I was doing stand up comedy. For, I don't know how. Why? Why did I say that? Like, out of nowhere, that lie just came up. I thought it was cool or something, right? You know, because I used to... I grew up watching, like, fucking Martin Lawrence and shit. And I really thought... I don't know. I thought stand-up comics were cool. And uh, so I lied to her about it. And then that just got stuck in my head. Then I found an open mic night, and I went. And, uh, dude, it was fun. It was fun. I was sucked, but it was fun, you know? Next thing you know, I'm doing stand-up comedy in Milwaukee. And I did that for years, and I created, like... I created a bunch of shows because there was no comedy scene there. Then I met a girl and uh, I quit TV news and I went full time stand up. And then I followed her around the country. I went to Dallas, New York City, Louisville. I went to like Louisville, Reno, San Diego. Then we broke up and I moved back to New York City. And that's where I'm at now. How long ago was this? What they you started? I started in 2009. Wow. Yeah. I started in September. I had 13, I'm 13 in, I don't remember meeting you, but I do remember doing stuff at Maddie B's. And then I do remember you're known, like you're known as the Binghamton comedy guy. Like, I'm like, yo, I might go up to Binghamton and, and stuff. And they're like, Oh, do you know, do you know Mike Peters? And I'm like, I don't think so. So I've heard about you many times. And, um,
0: from like people like just regular think- people or people with ties up here
1: like comics who somehow I mean people know you that's great yeah and so I'm like oh I gotta reach out to this dude and you know it's been it was years and uh I'd say average a show a year or a show every other year in Binghamton and uh I'm actually coming up in like two weeks less than two weeks I was like I don't want to do any heavy lifting but I know this people who say this guy runs some great stuff so um I'm gonna hit them up, and then that's when I got a hold of you.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. By the way, I've worked with a bunch of people in New York City, and a lot of the people who go down there from like Syracuse, Rochester, Buffalo—you know—I've worked with them. And then if they're up town for breaks or whatever, you know, I'll get them on shows because my whole thing is like my budgets aren't really big, but like I know I put on good shows and I give people time. So yeah. like, like, and I know like New York City people, like I've met them and. I've been like, well, I would love to have you up here, but I don't pay, you know, I pay a hundred dollars or 75 bucks or whatever it is. like, yeah, but honestly, we don't give a shit. Yeah. If we could do 20 minutes, if we could do 30 minutes, we're fine. I know.
1: You wouldn't believe how far that goes. That's like the big, That's a huge currency, you know, cause it's like outside of my own show. I mean, the absolute ceiling is 15 minutes. You know what I mean? And that's rare. I mean, you're doing 10 minutes at a show, like, usually like if you get booked on a bar show it's 10 usually a club show is also about 10 minutes and so when someone offers offers you like a decent set where you can actually let your shit breathe for the first time in a while yeah it's it's basically money you know what i mean it's weird it's like hey well i'll let you work longer and you're like oh yes you know what i mean (laughs) Yeah. yeah Hey, you won't make much, but you get to work a lot. And you're like, yeah. Yeah, you're actually making less per minute. But- yeah, you're making way less per minute.
0: You've been in New York City for how long now?
1: Uh, I got here in 2013. And then, like I said, I was with that girl right. uh, that I was following around for a while. She was like a travel So she would get like these three-month contracts and then she'd move, right? So I'd follow her. So the first place we went was Dallas, right? So I went from Milwaukee to Dallas. I quit my career, by the way. I was making, like, decent money, especially somebody from Binghamton with a GED. Right. Uh, and I was, like, I was making, like, decent money. And I was, like, I was so in love with comedy. And and this girl was, like, a freak. Like, <laughs> yo, yo, she had my brain, like, fuzzy, like cartoon birds were swimming around my brains and shit. and like. Like, I would have have followed her anywhere. Like, she did freaky stuff. So I I walked away from, like, a decent paying job to just try to do stand-up. So I'm in Dallas for, like, three months. So I get there, and I'm just, like, you know, I'm going to all the open mics. I'm trying to meet everybody. And just when I'm finally getting my foot in the door, she gets a new contract, and we move. So then we moved to New York City, and I was here for six months. And we did that. And then we moved, and we went to... I want to say I went to St. Louis. So then I'm in St. Louis for like three months. And as soon as I get my foot in the door, we move. But that was the plan. I mean, the plan was just to, to go around the country, meet a bunch of people in the comedy world, be able to like knock on the door of a comedy club and be like, hey, can I get a guest spot? And uh, I don't know. It's, just, it's probably not the greatest plan.
0: But you've met a lot of people. I mean, yeah, you, I would think one of the biggest advantages of that is like you can see... Different styles from like not just comedian to comedian, but like how the scene works.
1: Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, I like, mean,
0: you probably got to know Milwaukee better than any other scene, right? At that. Point. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's like, okay, well, you have that. Let's just say the attitude is a little different.
1: Oh you know, sure, yeah, yeah. Back,
0: and then you go to Dallas, and you're like, oh wow, these guys are they bite a little bit more. Like there's more anger here, and I would think you'd pick up things along the way.
1: Sure, I'll tell you. I can tell you that I didn't like Dallas. At all. And maybe it was where I was at the time, but it felt like, so the Milwaukee comedy scene at the time when I started had three clubs, but they were kind of like locked down. They didn't really do open mics and they didn't really hire locals. And a lot of people had been working those same clubs since the 80s. So they were like, they were just like not even in the equation. So me and my buddy Jason and my buddy Mario, we all started putting on our own shows very similar to like what you're doing right now. You know what I mean? Just You just find yeah. a space and, you, and you're and you like, I can do a show too. So we started developing these really edgy, I don't even want to say edgy, but we were just doing different stuff. You know what I mean? And it was like, whatever, we were just throwing stuff at the wall and we we're having a, like a lot of fun with it. You know what I mean? And uh, I was very inclusive. So then when I went to a, uh, Dallas Dallas was opposite Dallas had a bunch of clubs too but they would always they would hire all their MCs from like the local scene and so I felt like at every open mic, everybody was doing their hottest five that they had been doing for years and they were just stale. And then when somebody new on the scene came in and they, were, you know, I'm kind of blowing myself here, but I was like kind of funny. And I was like, everybody was like, I felt like such an outsider, like the new kid at school. And like I was had like, I had to sit at the fucking new kid table, you know, and like, I really just didn't like it. I didn't I didn't feel accepted there at all. And I felt like it was very it, it was like, this is our scene. Thanks for stopping by though. But yeah, you, to your point though. Yeah, you're right. I Comedy works just a little bit different in, in every city. You know what I mean? Like the only place I've ever been in my entire existence that charges for open mics is New York city. You know, like I've been to so many other cities where you just put your name on a list and you're good to go.
0: Yeah. I wonder if that's just because they don't expect any audience to get there. Maybe. Clubs
1: and- yeah. That's a, yeah. And another thing is it's,
0: I've only done it a few times. And every time I go there, it's like, you try to avoid those, but it's like, you know, especially when you're new, you're like, wow, well, I'd like a photo of me at New York comedy club right, or Broadway or wherever. It's like, but then you, you think about it and it's like, well, there were absolutely no audience members. Like, Oh, zero. yeah. And then, like, I don't know how you were, but like the first time I went to New York city, I just had these grand things like, Oh, all the New York city comedians are going to listen to everything I say. And they're yeah. going to love me. And yeah, you know, forget the fact that I was like four or five months in.
1: <laughs> yeah i know nobody. i know
0: like my parents are like no we're not coming back but if you're late on the list you're telling jokes to nobody
1: yeah yeah i used to tell people like when people would ask me like what uh what the scene was like i was like okay check this out if you go to a new york city open mic and there's 10 people there and you go first you have nine people to play to yep if you go second you're telling jokes to eight people <laughs> if you go third you're telling jokes to seven people and it's, uh, it's
0: such a shock and like I was so mad at first. I'm like, this is a waste of time. They don't care. They're assholes. And then I would go to the next mic and I'd see them there too. And I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people are running like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But once you're in, once you're here for long enough and you learn the rope, you can find the good. There are good mics. There's great mics. I run a great mic. There are mics where people stay the whole time. And there's mics where it's like, not, I don't know. I, I really feel like there's a lot of places that like, comics will just sit on you for no reason just because they don't know you or i mean a thousand different reasons but you can go you can definitely find places where you're like oh wow this was worth me traveling getting dressed getting my notebook out right spending 3 hours of my life to come here to do 5 minutes this was worth it those do exist here it just takes a bit of Trial and error, and knowing people, and also I hate to say it, man. Like it's very similar to the way it was in Dallas. It's where it's like if nobody knows who you are, like why waste your time with this guy? Like so many people come and go in, in New York City comedy scene. It's like I'm not gonna fucking talk to this guy. He's yeah. gonna I'll never see him again. You know what I mean? It's just the reality of it, I guess.
0: Your first stint in New York City.
1: Did you feel like you were home? No, dude. Okay. I hated New York City. I hated everything that wasn't Milwaukee, to be honest with you. And it was because I fucking I had I basically crafted that Milwaukee comedy scene. There was nothing really happening. There was a black comedy scene like uh, Milwaukee is like a very segregated city. And the black comedy scene, um, if you were brave enough to go there and me and my buddy Jason were their open mics were better than most shows at clubs, dude. Like people got dressed up. And it was just a mic. You just put your name on a list and you were going up, but the audience was packed and like they were going, I mean, it was, it was fun, dude. And being like the only white person in the building, dude, you got like, they'll give you extra time. They would fuck with you, dude. It was fun. And by doing those kind of shows, that's how I got my first paid gig ever. Have you ever seen the cartoon, the boondocks? I've
0: heard of it. And I I feel like it's one that I just
1: missed. Okay. It's like a black anime show that's on uh, Adult it, Swim.
0: Isn't it like regarded as one of the best shows of all time?
1: I don't know about that. Maybe, but it's it's definitely fun to watch, and it's cool, and the animation's like sick, and it's funny as fuck. But on there, there's a character, you know, Barack Obama, like the president, is on there, and the guy who does that voice is a Milwaukee comedian named Marlon Hill. He, like he won the Apollo. Talent contest a bunch of times, and he's got a radio morning show out in Milwaukee. So he saw me at one of those black open mics, and he was like, "Dude, dude, I got to get you on, on my show." Oh, this is gonna. Can I answer one of your questions now? Yeah, go for it. Okay, you asked me before. I think before we even started rolling to tell you about one of my worst shows ever.
0: Yeah, I always tell the comedians, "I'm like, hey, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> yeah, what one of your worst shows was, because I don't want to like. <laughs> first of all, I don't want to ruin a good mood. Like, yeah, yeah. Hey, we're, we're on a good momentum. Hey, how okay. about we get sad for a little bit? Also, it's like, OK, you got an hour to think about this one, but if you got it now,
1: shoot. Yeah, I got it right now. I just came to me because uh, it's the first time I ever got paid to do stand up. Right. So Marlon saw me. I was doing these. Uh, I actually worked with a guy. This is what we were saying earlier, too. Like, like comedy is so weird that you're like you didn't. So I was working at Fox 6 News in Milwaukee and I started doing stand up. Right after I had lied to that girl, I was like, I don't know, maybe I'm going to give this a go. Right. right. So I did my first open mic. Okay. These two go kind of hand in hand. Remind me to get back to Marlin Hill. Okay. If I wander okay. off, I have ADD. I really okay. do. I just need some Adderall. So if you're in Binghamton on um, <laughs> January 19th, uh, January nineteenth, bring some Adderall to beer 30 and
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll update the event page in the poster. I'll make sure it's on okay. there.
1: Oh, and I'll give you a new car. This is my new car. <laughs> oh, nice. uh, all right. Okay, here's my first open mic ever, and it's one of the worst shows I've ever had, except I didn't know it at the time because – and you're going to have to back me up on this, Mike. Comedy's weird. Just the fact that you do it gives you the same adrenaline rush as if you did good. Yep. Do you agree with that? So you could go out there and bomb, and if you don't know you bombed, you'll have the same exhilaration as if you just crushed.
0: I will correct you here at first. At when first. You,
1: when you start yeah. out. Yes. When you start out. When, when you, you start out because you your learn, definition of bombing yes, and killing yeah. changes.
0: Yeah, you, you right? well, yeah. kind of. Like you just learn what a bomb is and you're like,
1: oh, Yeah. That's like, what oh, it's doing. Oh. oh, so when they all groaned, that yeah. wasn't good. No. <laughs> Anything in the beginning feels better than silence. Yes. Right? Yeah. Right. So that's why I honestly feel and here's I have a lot of like and I hate that I I'm this person, but like I love pulling newcomers aside and being like Uh, pontificating about comedy i i didn't want to be that guy and i don't like being that guy but i i I have been around for a while and i do think i've acquired some knowledge that i I give freely you know what i mean but when people get interested into me i like i pontificate about this thing that i'm not even sure i really understand right like i will tell you this i don't think i i understand comedy the way i see it but i can honestly be 100 wrong right i and i know that okay so yeah, yeah, you you do get this great feeling when you first go up, no matter if it goes good or bad. It it, it does feel good. So my first open mic ever, I pound like three or four of these PBR tall boys, oh, right? Shit. And I'm at a place called uh, I'm at a place called um, the Miramar Theater, right? It's uh, September twenty something, two thousand and nine. I got my four little jokes written on my book. And it's a mixed genre open mic, meaning a lot of acoustic guitar playing, a lot of poetry. And the woman before me, her name was Maria, and she was from Chile. She went to UWM, and she was like a musical genius. So she goes on stage, right? And uh, her first song, she's playing this grand piano that's on stage, right? And it's just like, she's awesome. And she, her voice is just as good. And she's like, <laughs> watching it, right? And then she's, her second song, she intros her second song with, she goes, I want to sing a song about the clouds because clouds make me happy, right? And she fucking starts playing this 12-string classical guitar, right? And it's just like... It's so beautiful. And she's singing and everybody's on like the edge of their seats and they've got those big anime, juicy, watery eyes. Cause like, everybody's just like, they're just like on the edge of just tearing up and like, like some people are like breaking and like a, like little tear just going down their face. And she's just like, it's gorgeous, dude. It's like the definition of art. And then She's done. She gets a standing ovation or whatever, and the host comes out and she looks at my card and she goes, "Oh, this is fun. We've got a stand-up comedian. We haven't had one of those in a while." Oh no! And I go on stage and I f- have to follow Maria and I start doing jokes about the most <laughs> fucking shit. Right? I did a joke about going to Taco Bell drunk and getting home and being on the toilet and then having to puke and making the hard decision of do I continue to shit and puke on the floor or do I stand (laughs) up and puke in the toilet and shit on the floor? I mean, this is what I followed her with. And had I known at the time that I actually bombed, I probably never would have continued. But the naive part of me who just got to enjoy that adrenaline just because it was my first time, that's what kept me coming back. And so that's one of the worst ever. Like that was one of the worst shows I've ever had. And that was my first one, but I didn't realize how bad it was. Now the second one, I did realize how bad it was, but, and it was the first time I got paid. Okay. So here's what happened. I've been going to those black open mics and they were amazing. Cause there was like real people. There it wasn't like five or six people, but, Like you were getting uproarious laughter. You know what I mean? Like, People would jump up, and it was really like deaf comedy jam, which is what I grew up watching. And I was like, "This is what I fucking love. This is where I meant to be, right?" And this is only about three, four months into comedy. So Marlon hired me to do this show. He used to run a show at I think it was a Holiday Inn or um, something along those lines that had a nice ballroom, and he packed him in there. It was like two hundred people, right? Definitely by far the most number of people I've ever played to my up to that point. And I'm the I'm the only white guy on on the bill. I'm probably the only white guy in that room to be honest with you. And the first two comics go up and they're just crushing, right? And it's like they just got that stereotypical black like flavor, right? And they yeah. just come out and when when they tell a joke, they laugh at their own joke and they hit their leg with the fucking microphone and it's just, I mean, but this is what I love. Like this is what I grew up watching, you know what I mean? And I was like, this is it. And then Let me describe the audience, though. They were not what used to go to the open mic. You know, the black open mics were like younger dudes wearing like backwards baseball hats. And like it was just like, you know, it was just like a regular night out. But at this show where people were paying 40 bucks to get in, they were like in suits and church attire. And like every woman had like a nice hat like a church hat. So I go behind the curtain and they called my name and I went out and I just, I mean, I'm four months in the comedy. I probably have seven minutes of what I now realize is zero minutes. You know what right, I mean?
0: Right,
1: right. <laughs> but I had like seven minutes of total jokes and I went out and, uh, oh man, I wasn't right for that room. This <laughs> wasn't dude. I was just doing dirty, dirty sex, which you can do if you, if you can handle it, right. If you can get there, you know what I mean? But I didn't come out. I came out dirty. And dude, I used to, I don't know. I used to do it. I used to do jokes about like cutting the tip off of a condom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yo, yo. And I used to be like, yeah, big deal. The sides are still protected. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like yo. Yeah, yeah, but this is, I ate shit. I got some booze. I don't think I got a single laugh. But I came off stage and I still got paid 25 bucks. That was the first time I ever got paid. But I that was like one of those shows where you're like, like it lights something on fire inside of you. And you were like, there's more to learn about this. You know what I mean? There's like there's more to this than just fucking dancing around like a clown. You know what I mean? There's fucking levels to this.
0: Do you ever run into a comedian who will tell you, oh, I've never bombed?
1: Uh, I don't I don't know.
0: I've worked with people who are like, like relatively new. <laughs> yeah, and like, like oh, I've never had a bad set. I'm like, first of all, you have.
1: Yeah, you have. You don't know it yet. I've been there. i seen yeah. it. You have. <laughs> yeah,
0: but there are parts where I'm like, I kind of root for them to realize it because, like, yeah. no, you need to be hurt. Like, Dude, like yeah. you, you have to know that. Oh, this joke doesn't work everywhere,
1: or yeah. I'm not
0: as good as I thought I was. Like I said, there's different levels to, to how good you are too, and like. I feel like you need a show like that every once in a while to humble you yeah. and tell you, okay, well, I still need to work.
1: Oh, or, yeah. Or,
0: like, maybe I'm not right for that room.
1: Yeah, which I was thinking about this. The fact that I'm going back to Binghamton caused me to go down this rabbit hole of thought where, like, sometimes the room that you're in isn't for you. Right. Like, how can I say this? There is a way that you can be good in every single room if you want to, but it's a disservice to you. So when I'm in Binghamton, New York, and I've said this in the past, I can never get what I'm due because there's too much familiarity there. People see me as who I used to be before I left there when I was 28 years old. The growth that I've had in my life from 28 to 45, I mean, dude, I'm a fucking man, dude. I've gone through some shit and I have some real experience and my jokes are no longer paper thin. Like when I'm on stage, I'm trying to really kill something. I don't just want laughs. I want laughs because you get me. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I want laughs because I've told you what the real truth, the way I see it is. And we've just matched up all the way along. And so you're like losing your mind. You're like, ah, because you get it. Now there is a way to go in that same room and fucking dumb it down and just say what you think they want to hear, and you will get probably the same number of laughs, but you're gonna leave empty. It's just like candy, you know what I mean? It's just like it's not what I'm after anymore. And there was a time in in my comedy career where I just wanted to do good, and that's no longer the goal. It's dude, I got some stuff. Every time I really feel like I hit the next level, it's because I've written something that I'm like, there's no way people should be laughing at this, but yet I've got them to do it. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, could I go out there and write Carfax jokes or fucking Tinder jokes or my girlfriend wants me to buy tampons jokes or, you know what I mean? I could do that and get paid. And then there's something else, right? There's something that I feel like if you don't feel it, Maybe this isn't for you, but there's a, like a, like an itching on the inside where you're like, I want to tell more about me. I want to tell these things that I fucking really think like these things that like, man, I don't I, I don't trust I don't trust my best friends with these things. And then you put those out for strangers, and then you get laughs on those, and then you're like, yeah, like my fear of death or like the way I see all this existential garbage is just like floats through my brain nonstop, you know, like, yeah, I can get a joke about finger fucking a girl in a cemetery. Yes, <laughs> I can do that. But to take these fucking things that like make me stay up at night and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to be fucking completely erased someday. And I, it's like, I'd never lived, you know?
0: When do you think you came to that realization? Like a couple of years ago where you're like, Oh, you know what? I'm bored of <laughs> this finger fucking joke. Let me <laughs> yeah, try yeah. to go deeper. No pun intended.
1: Um, yeah, but that was good. <laughs> <sighs> okay, I recorded an album in 2016, right? And it got it got picked up by Comedy Dynamics, and I really thought that it was like going to be a game changer. It wasn't the game changer I wanted. It helped me get booked a little more. Get, it added a little bit of uh, validity to me, but it wasn't quite the push I wanted. So. In the process of recording that album, there's two different comedians in that hour. Because, I mean, this is the culmination of my first seven years in comedy. There's a guy up there doing Lake of Soda, which right. totally made-up joke, right? I did used to work at the Boscov's Greenery that used to have – do you remember that? They used to have, like, a restaurant in there. Yep, yep. And while I was there, there was this big, tough dude with his woman, and I spilled I spilled a whole soda in his lap. And that's that is the kernel of truth that this story is built on. But the rest of it's all made up and fake. And I'm using like gay imagery to get my laughs. You know what I mean? I'm like, uh, so I blew the guy. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, this is a joke I would never tell again in my entire life. But on the same album is I now have another death joke. But, but the the joke called death. I'm talking about having a white trash funeral and about there's some realness in there. As I'm recording it, I'm like, ah, oh, there's two different guys. There's totally two different guys on here. And only one of those makes you feel fulfilled, like when you tell these kind of jokes versus these kind of jokes. And so I don't know exactly when it happened, but that's when I really became aware of the fact that some jokes are fluff and some jokes are more of a magic trick when you can get somebody or more of therapy, really. Like like when you actually grab your crowd member and you're like, like get it right. We get it. And you always know when you hit that person, because they'll fucking come up to you after the show and they'll fucking, they'll want to stay your fan and stuff. You know what I mean? Where it's like, you can go and you can get the laughs and you can get the right laughs per minute. And on paper, it looks like you crushed, but did you, I mean, did you, I've heard those kind of jokes before. That's I run an open mic. So I see, Brand new people all the time, and sometimes there's like this glimmer of like, oh shit, that's genius and that's real. Mm-hmm. And then the the very next joke is like, who's on the dating apps? And you're like, fuck, you know what <laughs> I mean? You just lost. You had it. Oh, you lost it. And it's hard to stay on in fifth gear all the time. I mean, without burning your crowd out. So there's got to be something in between there where you're still true, but it's lighter, I guess.
0: Well, I look at like a guy like George Carlin, and yeah he's got super heady jokes where like he's going against religion and the military, whatever. And then he's got a joke. It's like a palate cleanser where you ever notice uh, how a moth farts. Like, how do you know? It goes a straight line. And it's like, I think you need something like that. to, like, all right, guys, let's reset, you know, where we're, Oh yeah. Yeah. You really back.
1: Yeah, and let me let me qualify. It doesn't have to be all dark shit per se, but it it should be all like like when you're in that truth zone or like when you really when you really just own them, you know, it doesn't have to be like the most darkest shit in the world. I mean, there's all kinds of clean comedy that also would fit that same definition of like just being completely real and connecting and not having to do any showmanship bullshit. I guess, and I forgot what the original question was, since it was 45 minutes ago. Uh, I think I asked you how you're doing. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, not this again. Uh, But there is something to, when I go to Binghamton and I feel phony and there's no winning, because I honestly feel like when I try to hit certain, like I have certain things that I'm going to probably do in, in 10 days that I'm just like, I know deep in my heart this isn't the right place for it or something. And and I'm always seen as like the picture that's engraved in everybody's head is a different guy. I don't Binghamton Damon doesn't exist anymore. And, right. and almost I, nobody understands that.
0: I got a couple questions for you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So when you first started doing comedy, yeah. Do you think your friends in Binghamton, the people who knew you, who saw you grow up, were they surprised that you started telling jokes for a living?
1: Some. Some for sure, but other people just knew me from like parties and stuff where like, okay, the true origin is I have an Uncle Chucky who was always drunk and always telling stories. And you always you just had to listen to this dude. Right. Like he was on fire every time. Every time he came around, he was just like an orator. Like he was just like, boom, he just knew how to pace a story and he knew how to do it. And I learned that from him. And then when I would when I would go to keg parties and stuff like that, I would retell. I would retell the stories that I, the guy standing right next to me was there. And like I would just like take his story and be like, I just add the right details, add the right pacing. And there was just something about that that was right. And I was a great rank at ranking. I could rank people under to death. I mean, I just could make fun of you so hard. You know, I'd make fun of your shit because I don't want you looking at what I was wearing. Oh, yeah, and yeah, so, for sure. So you take those two two worlds and you add them together, and it kind of it kind of was a natural progression to start doing this, I think. And I was always a class clown and always getting suspended and kicked out of class. I always wanted to do this. I just didn't know that this was it.
0: Do you go to Binghamton High School?
1: Yeah, briefly. I also went to Windsor and SV. Okay. I had a weird checkered growing i'm trash dude <laughs> you're gonna hear uh, you'll hear all about it
0: okay so like when you come up to binghamton like you said you do one or two shows a year yeah that's pressure you're putting on yourself right to perform for them and like yeah
1: like,
0: do you have fun with the shows
1: oh yeah dude right. the last ones i did the last ones i did was at peterson's and yep. i did two shows and i was really ju- i mean overall yes then there's this element where because of that familiarity that I've mentioned and stuff. I feel like people are willing to heckle me in a way that would definitely never happen on the road. Like I wish the people who come to my show and act like it's just my body up there doing comedy could see the fucking kind of King I am when I'm touring. You know what I mean? The fucking green room spreads where you're like, this is this is fucking, this LaCroix is not bubbly enough. You know what I mean? And you're like, Get the fuck, get this shit out of here. And the hotel rooms that they put you up in just for telling jokes. But I do have fun with it because it's almost like, to me, it's almost like I'm checking in. You know what I mean? I'm checking in. I'm like, come see what I'm doing now. Come see how far I've come now. And although I'll, I don't think I'll ever get the do in that town, in those rooms, like I fucking murdered Harder than I'd ever murdered in Binghamton the last time I was in town. Like, everything was just on fire. Dude, it was so good. Like, it was good. And, like, I had people who had seen me previously come up to me and be like, damn, fucking great. You know, like, so eventually, maybe I'll win some of them over.
0: I'm always nervous when I, and I'm curious to hear what your thought is, but, like, I'm always nervous when I am setting up for an open mic and I have high school friends in the crowd. And yeah, I'm like, oh shit. And I'll do a show every once in a while and I'll take money from this guy who used to make fun of me in high school. <laughs> like Yeah, 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 yeah. So like I, I'm self-conscious. I'm like, I like my jokes or whatever, but like, do I yeah. love like enough to tell them tonight? And, oh dude. Like, yeah. do you when you see people you grew up with in the audience, are you more nervous or are you just excited?
1: Um so I mean, I'm nervous every time I'm 13 years in and there's not a fucking open mic that I don't get the same level of nervousness as I do at like a 300 seat club. Like it's all relative. So I don't know if I get. Yeah. The one thing that is different when I perform in my hometown is that people can see through the construction of the joke a little easier because I have to change certain details and things to make something funny in a way that, you know, like when you're on the road or just not there and you're telling this story that is basically built. So basically this joke takes place at a party, right? But you built it out of three different stories, right? It's like this party and this party and this party, and you squish those all into one party. And now that's a fucking funny bit. And then somebody in the audience with like some like actual knowledge of the stories that built that story they're seeing behind the curtain, and it makes me feel a little fake. So yeah, I do get a little nervous. Let me tell you this: I have a joke that I just posted. Right? You ever write a joke and you you have you put in like a placeholder? You're like, ah, this isn't what it's going to be in the end. But for now, this is the only way I can get to here. Right? So I told this joke. It's about Binghamton, right? And so I go: Binghamton doesn't have public library, but they have two Walmarts, right? One Walmart is right next to a methadone clinic. And then on the other side of town is the bad one, right? (laughs) So so this is the joke I wrote, right? And I posted that in, there's some kind of Facebook Binghamton group, because I've only started putting out my video clips recently, 13 years in, and I'm just finally getting some business advice from, from real agents and shit, right? They were like, you got to have a following now. You got to already have a following. Your fucking jokes ain't going to get you in the door unless you got numbers behind them, right? For the first time, I'm I'm taking some like true business advice and I'm like, all right, I'm going to start posting some videos, right? And my first few videos get like 30,000, 20,000. And this joke, I put it up and it's like, it's somewhere in the 20,000 range. And I put it in that Binghamton group and people are just hating on it, Right. The joke goes on and I'm talking about fetal alcohol syndrome. And I'm talking about everybody looking like a fucking sleepy frog. Right. And people are like reporting it and it got taken down for hate speech. And like they're really fucking fighting me back on this bullshit. I'm getting my videos taken off of Facebook and I'm getting um, banned from Facebook for like 30 days at a clip. And in this joke, all I did was put that little fucking space holder in there. Cause I couldn't think of what's funny. Like you don't have this, but you have two of these, right? Yeah. That's all I knew. I, I knew I needed a thing like that. Right. And so I performed it one night and I recorded it. And so I posted it, but then I go on to talk about how everybody's got like fetal alcohol syndrome and stuff like that. That'd be like, if I was like, Hey, this guy in the green shirt is a rapist and he loves fucking donkeys and he smokes crack. And you're like, his shirt ain't green. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what everybody was they right. like. We didn't do have a public library.
0: And that was my first thought too. And I'm like, I knew that was going to be the problem.
1: I yeah, knew it. I know. You know? And it's like, let the boy live. Let right. me have my fucking day in the sun. Cause you know, also, everything. It's a joke. Every, yeah. Everything that follows that. Yeah, it's also a joke. I come from there. I I fucking love that. I the number of people with thin skin just because of like things like that. You're like, come on. We make fun of this place all every day of my life till I was 28 and I moved there. We all were talking about leaving. We were all talking about how much this place sucked. We were all talking, we all called it the Twilight Zone. We said it sucked our soul. We all said it was the black hole. Like if you go. If you move out of town, you'll come back in three weeks. It always happens. Right. And now that I'm fucking gone, I can't do it. Fuck you. I well, earned this.
0: If you really want to nitpick, Binghamton doesn't have a Walmart Vestal and Johnson City. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Yeah. So
0: like, how yeah. accurate do you want this joke? Yeah. To be?
1: Do you guys know how jokes are w- work? I took something and I still haven't fixed that joke because that's how angry I am at. it. I can't you even know look what? at it.
0: I might keep it as is out of spite.
1: Yeah, I like, should. Like yeah.
0: fuck that. Maybe I just won't yeah. tell this in Binghamton, but yeah. it'll crush in Milwaukee.
1: Oh, yeah. It crushes I when care. I tell it. Yeah, it works when I tell it. I don't know. But yeah, that made me mad. What was the joke? What was the question?
0: I asked if you felt pressure and if
1: I do if feel my, a little bit feel, of pressure, yeah. but my mom shows up to all my stuff and she fucking do. She's a soldier. One time I did a show at the uh American Legion right there on Main Street. It was the first show I ever did back in town. It was called The Fistful of Food Stamps. Oh, and nice. It was the longest, it was the longest set I had ever done up to that point. I think it was like 45 minutes or something. And I'm I'm not I'm like a year into comedy tops. I have no business doing recording. W- one of
0: my one of my first shows, I did an hour.
1: <laughs> no, right? And like, yeah.
0: like I, I wanna right now write. Like apology cards.
1: (laughs) I know. Dude. Like, because I started in a place without a comedy scene and we promised all these venues that we would come in and we would do a comedy show. We were all doing like very long sets right from the very beginning. And honestly, it's, it's a skill that helps helped me to this day. I mean, I can honestly sneeze and an hour will go by and I'm like, holy fuck. Did I just do that? You know what I mean? How how
0: important do you think that is? Like, you know, we talked about New York City, you get 10 minutes at a time or, you know, three and you got to piece together a whole set. If I give you a 15 minute set, you might take things you worked at at four open mics that night and yeah. put it together. But when you come from Binghamton or maybe Milwaukee is similar at the start, but like yeah. when you can actually develop 15, 20 minutes at a time, right. when you move to San Diego or Dallas or a big city, do you feel like you're a better comedian that way?
1: I mean, yeah, in, to a degree. So I I do a lot of stuff on the road, and I, I, get, I get legit club stuff. And, you know, it's, I mean, feature you're doing a half, 20, 25, a half, and then headlining, you know, 45 to an hour. I have no fear of that whatsoever. And I'll bring somebody with me from here, and you really feel like they're doing – all these different five-minute sets, right? And even if they're doing 20 minutes, you just heard four or five-minute sets. And when I do an hour, you, like, really feel the cohesiveness of it because I've mm-hmm. I've played with it for years and years and years. Yeah, there is something to be said to being, being able to be a long-form comic who's, like, hitting... You hear these five-minute sets and these five minutes... The, when I do an hour, like, it, it fucking builds. You know what I mean? There is a certain skill that not everybody gets to practice, like you were saying, that in these long sets, you can really fucking, you can do the dance, right? You can get them on your side here and you can have them laughing at dead babies up here because you've had that time to work that out. The danger zone where they let you go in a long set, it's limitless if you can earn them back here. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. When I see comedians do long sets, one of my favorite parts is watching them lose the room and win them back.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Because I think there's skill to it. And, like, I think I can do that, but I don't know. I predominantly host the shows, So, like, I'm like, maybe I'll get 20 minutes, you know, or if I can stretch 25 or 30. But that honestly doesn't happen as often as I'd like. So when I see a headliner come in and do an hour, and he or she has dark material, I'm like, all right, well, how are you going to, rebound yeah. from this cancer material, maybe not working so strongly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah. getting them all back again. It's impressive. Yeah.
1: yeah. it's And it's, you know, Louis C.K. used to talk about how he would have like three 20-minute chunks and he would put the strongest one at the top. To make him work harder on the other ones. And then when that became the strongest one, he then put that one back on top. I remember that. And like that's just like genius shit. You know what I mean? And so I copied him and I did that. My closer on my first album was this. I mean, I th- I thought it was a great closer and I couldn't ever imagine opening with it, but I was like, challenge accepted. And I did, and I got the laughs, but then now you're out there on the tightrope, you know, and you're like, can I find something else to close on? And I don't make set lists, really. I usually go up with a, with an opening joke, locked and loaded. And I've been doing a lot of these jokes for so long that this one runs with this one really well. And then that one comes in nice and neat. But if I'm feeling like if I'm going down this road and I'm like, they're just not getting it or this isn't for them, I am not married to this in any, any way. I can just jump off and then go do some other stuff. And then if I feel like maybe ready, they're ready for that incest stuff again, and like <laughs> hey, so. Then I, who isn't ready for the incest? Come on, I don't know. we will find out this week. I'm starting <laughs> with it. <laughs> I don't know. The more I, the more I think I know about comedy, the more I realize it's infinite, and so you know, you're never oh. close to filling up your brain.
0: I get so excited when like I'll have a one liner or just a joke. Like I like this joke a lot, and maybe other people have done it. I, I don't think so, but. I was driving home from a show and I have a, a bunch of stuff about how I need to lose weight. And I don't, I'm not the kind of guy who are like it's like, oh, I look like this. Like, I don't do that very often. Yeah. But a line came into my head and I said, I told my girlfriend, I'm like, what do you think of this? And the line is uh, I look like I know exactly which tree the Keebler elves live in.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And like,
0: I'm like, I think that's creative. And I told it at a show and it killed. And I'm like, oh yeah. Okay, I have something there. But I get so excited when I have a little droplet like that. And I'm like, OK, and it feels like, yeah. oh, it'll breathe fresh life into an old bit. And yeah, like, yeah. Oh, Now I'm excited for that bit because I want to see how that line plays off of that.
1: And it, then you then you so plug fun. it into the right spot, right? You got to try to yep. find the right home for it. Yeah, yep. And then and the next thing you know, it's like then you can take an old joke that like maybe you've gotten bored with it. And you just break it all down and then rebuild it. And maybe it's fucking and then you're like, oh, it's a different joke. There's certain jokes off of my album that I now do because I've rewritten them and they're stronger. And I was like, that's what the joke should have been to begin with. So I do write down all these little pieces of stuff and they don't have a home yet is what I'm getting at. It's like, okay, you know how like they say that the planets formed, it's just yeah. all this dust all over the galaxy. And then like, two of them come together and then they have a little bit more gravity and then that attracts another piece and another piece and another piece. And the next thing you know, it's a fucking planet. That's how I feel like jokes are. I have all these fragments of stuff that's just, I wrote something at work yesterday about oxygen marinated crickets. I don't know what it is yet. I'm going to find a home. I'm going to find a home for it. It makes no sense to nobody else, but I see it. I already see it. So that's going to be when I have writer's block which is all the time I'll go back and work on old stuff or I'll take a piece that's just those three words oxygenated crickets right and uh or oxygenated marinated I don't remember what I said right and then I just I'll grow it a little bit and then I just leave it alone for a while and then so I just have this soup in my brain all the time it's just like this soup of little things that get said little things I've said in conversations a lot of them disappear and die cuz I don't look at them anymore but i try to look at all these random fucking all this random like stuff i've written all over it's all everywhere and the more of them i can put together and they start building something and then that's that's like the chassis right like that's the skeleton of what will eventually become an actual joke that gets said and someone gives me money for having said it i have a joke that i need to i I talk about being white trash. And then one of the lines in there is uh, I have a cousin who, who almost died of bad teeth, right? And like, <laughs> I don't, I want it to go somewhere bigger, but like, that's all I have right now. So every but, once in a while. But that I,
0: line will get a laugh. You know,
1: this. that line gets a laugh all by itself, but I know it wants more. I can feel it wanting more. You know what I mean? It wants, it almost wants you to explain it, or at least I don't know. So, these are all the fragments that are in play twenty four seven, and again, what the fuck were we talking about? <laughs> so so
0: thirteen years ago, you, you lied to get on stage, yeah, you look back yeah. now, that was the right move, right? I mean, do you oh, feel like you, were, you were absolutely yeah. destined to do what you're doing?
1: dude, there is nothing in the world. I mean, I haven't done everything in the world, right, obviously, but I'm one hundred percent convinced. That the only true way to know yourself is to live this comedy existence. To straight up dive into your brain every single day. Write down feelings that are happening now. Write down observations about history. Take guesses about the future. I mean, read, write, go on adventures. Like, this is true living. All you're doing is you're like a fucking weird you're just like this weird hard drive and you're just experiencing life and then reporting it back. You're like an astronaut out there. You don't have the safety that the regular people do. And then you get to come back and they get to fucking enjoy that fucking blackout night that you went on from the safety of their seat with their two drink minimums, you know? Yeah. It's the greatest mistake I ever made. I went on stage, I followed Maria and I never looked back. And, dude, it's fun. And I know who I really am. I'm not the fucking knucklehead, fucking homophobe, racist kid who left Binghamton at 28, you know? That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, I can't wait to get you back to Binghamton. Oh, thanks, man. And uh, maybe you are those things.
1: And no, I fine. am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait till you hear this
0: fucking Jew shit I start off with. Oh, great. Fucking great.
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm like, gay.
0: Hey. hey, here's the headline. <laughs> oh shit.
1: <laughs> hey, did these Jews get in here with the coupons or what? You know,
0: <laughs> we got to go now. <laughs> this is so much fun getting to know you.
1: Yeah, and thanks, man. Know. I had a lot of fun, dude. Yeah,
0: I, I know we met like seven years ago or
1: whatever. I know, and I really so apologize. Yeah, no, I didn't. We didn't get into this at all, but yeah. um, I'm three years sober. Oh, great. And, uh, so I probably met you when I was like deep, 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 deep in the fucking throes of alcoholism.
0: Well, back then, too, like I barely talked to anybody and I probably would have been two or three months because I know we talked about New York City and I yeah. knew you were visiting your mom or
1: maybe she was there that night watching. You. Yeah, she comes to everything. Okay. Oh, oh, wait till you see this. I have a joke that I'm going to call her fat. I mean, she is fat, but I'm going to call her fat in and she's going to definitely be there. And we'll see how that works, because right now I'm getting big laughs on it. But if she's in the room, I have a feeling that's going to play hard into whether or not I get a laugh on this joke, because everybody's going to be conscious of the fact that the woman I'm calling fat is sitting two feet away. So this might be your last show. (laughs) No, no, dude. I got some new stuff I'm really excited about to put out there. And then I, so I got this stuff that I'm like, oh, this stuff's ready. Right. And you always have to have that, or people will think you're not good at comedy. But then, then there's this, right? Then there's like this tiny, this stuff at the bottom that is like all of those fragments that you're still trying to make work. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I have a chunk. This is the exciting stuff because who knows? Maybe it's not, maybe it's trash or maybe it's gold. Right. I have a lot of that right now. So I'm going to be very excited. And those are the things that you're excited. Like, you know, these work. So when you, the only time that you really put any thought into these top jokes is when they don't work. And the only time you put any thought into these ones is when you're like, oh, it worked okay tonight. Maybe I'll keep it around a little longer. Or, or you're like, I'm never saying that again. But these are, these ones, the ones right there in the middle that are still like forming, they're not planets yet, but they're still forming. Those are the ones you're excited about. And I have about 30 minutes of that shit right now. And so all the stuff I'm doing right now is like, like my heart beats a little little harder and like I care about it a little more because I'll work on this and then some of it'll go there and some of it'll go there. And then before you know it, you got nothing new again. All I'm saying is I got a lot of this juicy stuff that I'm excited about, which really, up. I think it elevates my telling. You know, it really elevates the... Being on stage because there's there's something at at risk. So you'll either turn it into gold or it'll become shit. But that'll happen in real time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, dude, again, yeah. I can't wait to see it. Do you have social media to plug?
1: Oh sure, yeah. I'm at Millard Comedy on everything. M I L L A R D C O M E D Y. Millard Comedy um I got some videos up recently. Just started this year. Well, 2022 of posting clips and on YouTube. I have a show called The Low Budget Show. There's 44 episodes of that. It's bizarre. It's not quite a podcast, but it is. It's not quite a sketch show, but it is. It's not quite a suicide letter, but it definitely, definitely is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so check that out if you are if you want to discover something new. I think it's its own new art form. I, I've had some really great guests on there. Like um, I've had uh, Mike Kaplan's been on, Tyler Fisher. And then a lot of unknowns that I feel like people should know I've been on there. It's cartoons, sketches, a one-on-one segment with me and the camera. And then like an, an interview, not too different from this. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate you doing this. And like, yeah, thanks buddy. Uh, of course. I can't wait to see it a couple of weeks.
1: Hey, cut out some shit that makes me look stupid. But other than, yeah, but you I, had me, you had me on the verge of tears twice. I don't know if you noticed. I, no, was I didn't like, notice that. Oh good. Oh shit! I should have shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I did. It's so weird. It's like I don't take myself seriously at all, and then I start getting talking about this stuff, and I'm like, "Look, like, you're a good person, Dave." <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, but you, yeah. You, you did scream at the Jews, so it balances out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> be in town on the on that Monday, so uh, I'll hit up that, that mic, you guys. Sweet. Too. Yeah. Is, is it will Will it be going that night?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we don't cancel that. But all right, man, I'll talk to you in a bit, but thanks so much again.
1: Yeah, thank you, man. Great, great finally having a a real talk with you. And I'll see you soon.